Welcome to Music for Life, enhancing the Armstrong concert experience. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. In today's episode, we explore the composer Peter Tchaikovsky and his masterpiece Romeo and Juliet, an orchestral work later choreographed into a short ballet production. This ballet is coming soon to Armstrong Auditorium here in Edmond, Oklahoma, presented by the Moscow Festival Ballet. Also that night, in addition to this short ballet, will be an assortment of the greatest hits of Tchaikovsky, great ballet moments from Swan Lake and The Sleeping Beauty, some examples of which we will also explore today. So stick around as we experience Romeo and Juliet and Tchaikovsky today on Music for Life. As our show's tagline states, we are helping enhance the Armstrong Experience, the world-class performing arts series here at Armstrong Auditorium. This season, we are exploring the music to be performed on the various concerts throughout the season, and our season continues with a two-night blockbuster event on Monday and Tuesday, January 29th and 30th. Performing those two nights will be the Moscow Festival Ballet. The first night, they will perform a best-of Russian ballet gala. This will be a greatest hits of ballets by Prokofiev, Pugny, Minkus, and even Saint-Saëns, who had a work choreographed by a famed Russian choreographer. The second night, which we will focus on here today, they will perform a best-of Tchaikovsky ballet gala, with favorite scenes from ballets like Swan Lake and The Sleeping Beauty, For half of this program, they will perform the entire Romeo and Juliet ballet with music by Peter Tchaikovsky. This is a fantastic musical composition containing well-known themes originally called the Romeo and Juliet Fantasy Overture. We have discussed this briefly on previous programs of Music for Life. We discussed it in Season 1, Episode 24, Moving Music, where we discussed the influence of dance on the musical art form. We also discussed it in our second season, in Episode 40, The Shakespearean Influence, where we discussed the impact of the bard on the musical output. Oftentimes, certain pieces of music have such a dance-like quality to them, even if the composer didn't intend for them to be danced to, that dancers will take that music and stage dance productions to the music. This was the case with much of Peter Tchaikovsky's music, especially his Romeo and Juliet fantasy overture, which we're discussing today. Marius Petipa, the choreographer for whom Tchaikovsky wrote his ballets, choreographed this orchestral masterpiece into a commonly performed ballet. First, note that the work is called a fantasy overture. Now, an overture is usually an instrumental work that precedes a larger-scale vocal or dance production, say the moment of the opera where just the orchestra plays at the beginning, no singing, or the moment of the ballet where just the orchestra plays and the curtain hasn't opened yet on the first scene. But sometimes composers wrote self-contained overtures that weren't overtures to anything. In this case, overture meant a work that was intended to embody an idea, perhaps a literary idea, like Felix Mendelssohn's Overture to a Midsummer Night's Dream. That 11 and a half minute work was meant to encapsulate musically the essence of the entire Shakespeare play. Now, of course, it was turned later into an actual overture to the play when Mendelssohn wrote incidental music to accompany the rest of the play, but that wasn't the original intent. Now, much is the case with Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet fantasy overture. It was meant to encapsulate the entire essence of Shakespeare's famous play, though it was later turned into more than just a standalone orchestral work. Before we explore that work more thoroughly, here's a brief overview of the composer Peter Tchaikovsky, his significance to music history. We discussed him in some depth on an episode titled Passing the Bar, an episode where we showed the vast number of composers who, at first, set out to be lawyers. (laughs) Peter Tchaikovsky was among those. That's episode 42 if you missed that one and want to hear it. And all our programs are archived at kpcg.fm as well as on SoundCloud and 
and iTunes. Peter was born in 1840. He began piano lessons at age five. His parents were initially supportive as he quickly passed the skills of his teacher. They hired a music tutor and encouraged further piano study. However, no matter the level of ability, the only musical careers available in Russia at that time were either as a teacher in an academy or as an instrumentalist in one of the imperial theaters. Both careers were completely without social status, providing income scarcely more than that of a peasant. Therefore, his parents decided he would study law in St. Petersburg, and he was sent away to school at age 10. Tchaikovsky was terribly homesick, and when his mother died when he was 14, he made his first serious attempt at a composition, a waltz in her memory. While at school, he was allowed to continue his piano studies, but due to the lack of possible employment in the field of music, he was told to finish his coursework, which he did, and he graduated and even held a post in the Ministry of Justice for three years. But when a grand duchess funded a Russian musical society with the help of pianist and composer Anton Rubinstein, Tchaikovsky enrolled as part of that premier class. Rubinstein was impressed by Tchaikovsky's musical talent on the whole and cited him as a composer of genius in his autobiography. Once Tchaikovsky graduated from the St. Petersburg Conservatory in 1865, Rubinstein's brother Nikolai offered him the post of Professor of Music Theory at the soon-to-open Moscow Conservatory. Even though the fledgling new school could only afford a paltry salary, the offer was eagerly accepted. We also talked about Tchaikovsky in an episode about the many royal and wealthy patrons of the musical arts, and that's from episode 22 of our first season, Music for Monarchs. One of the most interesting elements of Tchaikovsky's life, I think, was the benefactor who funded much of his work, and who did so under some unusual terms. Nadezhda von Meck was a wealthy widow of a railroad tycoon. She was fond of Peter Tchaikovsky's music, and she arranged to give him a regular monthly allowance so he could compose full-time. Now, the peculiar aspect of this relationship is that Madame von Meck had only one stipulation. She and Tchaikovsky could never meet face-to-face. <laughs> they did, however, correspond regularly via letters for about 14 years. We are discussing Peter Tchaikovsky and his music today on Music for Life, particularly his Romeo and Juliet fantasy overture, as that is the music for the Romeo and Juliet ballet we will see performed at Armstrong Auditorium on Tuesday, January 30th by the Moscow Festival Ballet. The ballet isn't full length, so the program will also consist of a best of Tchaikovsky ballets. Let's talk a little bit about those selections before we get more into the Romeo and Juliet discussion. In addition to some Tchaikovsky dances created by various choreographers, there will also be some highlights from two great Tchaikovsky ballets as choreographed by Marius Petipa. From The Sleeping Beauty will be the famous waltz, the pas de deux, or couple dance, and the finale. Here is the London Symphony Orchestra with André Previn conducting the waltz from The Sleeping Beauty.
That was the famous waltz from The Sleeping Beauty, performed by the London Symphony Orchestra under the baton of Andre Previn. And we will see that scene performed on Tuesday, January 30th, when the Moscow Festival Ballet performs a Best of Tchaikovsky gala program at Armstrong Auditorium. If you'd like to know more about The Sleeping Beauty, that ballet, and its music, you can find that in our archives at kpcg.fm or on SoundCloud or iTunes. We discussed that ballet in its entirety a couple years back when the Moscow Festival Ballet came to Armstrong and performed the full ballet. That's episode 26 if you'd like to hear more from that one. We also had Swan Lake on our stage a few years ago, another famous Tchaikovsky ballet choreographed by Marius Petipa. Scenes from this will also be featured in the Tchaikovsky Gala program coming to Armstrong on Tuesday, January 30th, alongside the headlining Romeo and Juliet ballet that we are discussing today. Let's hear something from Swan Lake. On the program, the Moscow Festival Ballet will feature Adagio from Act One of Swan Lake, the Pas de Deux from Act Two, and the Russian dance from Act Two. Let's hear the adagio from Act One. We will hear a 1993 recording of the Bolshoi Orchestra with conductor Alexander Lazarev. Specifically, we are hearing Anna Levina, harpist, Sergei Gershenko, violinist, and Dmitry Miller, cellist. Thank you. 
You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. On today's episode, we are exploring the composer Peter Tchaikovsky, some of his great ballet music, including his Romeo and Juliet fantasy overture that was adapted into a ballet. This is all in the lead-up to the Moscow Festival Ballet's January 29th and 30th performances at Armstrong. This particular Tchaikovsky Gala and Romeo and Juliet performance happening on January 30th. We just heard the Adagio from Act One of Swan Lake by Peter Tchaikovsky in a recording by the Bolshoi Orchestra under the baton of Alexander Lazarev. That is one of the scenes to be performed on the Tchaikovsky Gala at Armstrong, Tuesday, January 30th, presented by the Moscow Festival Ballet. Also on that Best of Tchaikovsky program and headlining the evening will be Tchaikovsky's beloved Romeo and Juliet score, written originally as an orchestral composition and later choreographed by the famed Marius Petipa, who choreographed Tchaikovsky's other works. So as promised, let's get into discussing this Romeo and Juliet score more in depth. Tchaikovsky began work on it in 1869, just before turning age 29. He was professor of composition in Moscow and had only written a small handful of compositions by that point, nothing to make him famous as of yet. He had just met the group of Russian composers known as the Mighty Five or the Mighty Handful or just the Five. This was an influential band of composers who were trying to create music that was largely Russian, as we discussed in our Music for Nationalism episode. They weren't especially impressed with Tchaikovsky as a composer. One of those composers, Balakirev, convinced Tchaikovsky to write a composition based on the Shakespeare play Romeo and Juliet. Tchaikovsky had originally told Balakirev that he wasn't feeling terribly inspired at the time. Tchaikovsky wrote this, I didn't want to write to you until I had sketched at least something of an overture, but just imagine I'm completely played out, and not one even mildly tolerable musical idea comes into my head. I'm beginning to fear that my muse has flown off to some distant place, perhaps she's visiting Zaremba, and perhaps I'll have to wait for her to return." Balakirev apparently responded by giving Tchaikovsky a detailed outline of how he thought the piece should be written. Tchaikovsky tried to follow the direction of the elder composer, but didn't impress him with what he came up with. Balakirev was only positive about the overture's love theme and largely critical about everything else. The reception from the public wasn't great either. When the piece premiered in 1870, the audience seemed more interested in the conductor, who had just the day before been convicted in court of a minor scandal. So Tchaikovsky thought, well, maybe there was something to Balakirev's criticisms. He reworked the introduction and changed some of the aspects of the overall structure. The piece was performed again two years later. The reception? Less than enthusiastic. Finally, in 1880, third time's a charm, right, as they say, Tchaikovsky gave the work a new ending, gave it the subtitle 
Overture Fantasia or Fantasy Overture. Perhaps that was the marketing gimmick necessary to make it work because once the new version premiered in 1886, it became immensely popular and has been so ever since. The piece has contrasting sections to depict the various aspects of the plot. The slow introduction represents Friar Lawrence. The quick, agitated following section represents the conflict of the Montagues and the Capulets. Then there is the famous love theme for Romeo and Juliet, which I've played on this program before, just never the entire overture for lack of time, but we do have that time today. Before we hear the work in its entirety, let me give you a few more musical details about the piece, signposts, if you will, to watch for Uh, with your ears, (laughs) to make what's happening musically more interesting. I would divide this piece into six sections to listen for. The first and last sections are a slow introduction and a slow conclusion, or a coda, as we'd call it. The second and fourth sections are the fiery, fast sections depicting the feuding between the two families. And the third and fifth sections are characterized by the famous love theme that Tchaikovsky wrote for this work. The introduction starts slowly and quietly with just two clarinets and two bassoons. Eventually, the strings and horns take a turn, and then you will also hear beautiful harp chords underpinning the long, sustained tones of the strings and winds in this opening section. About five minutes in, still technically the introduction, the tempo revs up a little bit, but then settles back down briefly before crescendoing into the fast and fiery second section. This is what I would call the feud section, the feuding of the two families. This is marked by this theme. Fragments of this theme are heard throughout this section. One particularly exciting part is where the strings furiously play rapid passages in unison underneath syncopated hits by the winds, brass, and percussion. Remember, syncopation is where a composer puts emphasis on generally unstressed parts of the beat pattern. This section sounds like this. After this tempestuous second section, the tempo slows down and the dynamics quiet down to present us the love theme. It is presented by the English horn and the viola section with mutes on. Here's that tune. This theme is further developed and played throughout the various sections of the orchestra until the feud, tempo, and material return in the fourth section of this piece. In this section, we hear the main theme of the slow introduction played over the quick tempo of the feud section. This section contains all the drama, if not more, of the previous feud section, the fiery string playing, the brassy syncopation. Finally, though, we hear this material start to spiral into the love theme. And then this fifth section, I guess you could call it, is a triumphantly loud and gloriously majestic demonstration of the love theme as opposed to the third section when the love theme was played in a more subdued way. Toward the end of this section, the feud rhythms start to intersperse themselves throughout the love theme, showing the conflict of the two ideas. The feud material wins out until a low timpani roll concludes this section. And after a brief pause, we get to the final section, a coda, as we would call it. This section is slow and contains melodic fragments based on the love theme, but it's not the love theme as we are used to hearing it. It has slight variations in the pitches to create a more uncertain feeling in this tune. Soon after, we get some beautiful hymn-like chords from the winds. The harp joins to add delicacy to the texture, and then the strings enter in unison on a fragment of the love theme, which is how Tchaikovsky concludes this work. 
So let's hear this fantasy overture in its entirety. Again, we will hear this piece of music performed at Armstrong Auditorium on Tuesday, January 30th, when the Moscow Festival Ballet performs this beloved production. It will happen on our stage in ballet form, though we have been discussing more of the musical details here today. More about this Armstrong Auditorium event and all our events can be found at armstrongauditorium.org. You can follow Armstrong Auditorium on social media. Be sure to follow Music for Life on social media at the handle Music for Life PCG. So here is the beloved Romeo and Juliet Fantasy Overture in a recording of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra with conductor Daniele Gatti. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you soon at Armstrong.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.